Let me take for just a moment of time to just kind of um, ponder this and allow this to build before we quickly and hastily read over a few passages of Scripture that will reiterate the thing that I want to share as I start to culminate the message. You know, I'm just grateful for the Word of God. This is certainly our belief that what we call the Holy Scriptures or the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, as the old song says, that's the book for me. I stand alone upon the Word of God. Come on, somebody, the B-I-B-L-E. We believe that the, that the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures are or is the Word of God, and you and I are uh, the recipients of this divine grace. We would not know about Yahweh God, the God of the Hebrew people, that has allowed inclusion into a covenant that he made with a man by the name of Abraham. He's allowed us as not natural descendants of Abraham to be a part of that covenant by virtue of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, you and I would not know about Yahweh God. We would not know about these covenants had the word of God not been given. We wouldn't know about biblical characters and heroes Men and women that have lived and through a testimony of faith, they have paved the way for you and I to follow in their footsteps. But God gave us their record in the Word of God. And we read it in the most difficult times of our lives. We read it to comfort us and to strengthen us. We also read it to, uh, to direct our paths. We read it to grow in our communion with God. We read it, and we not only do we read it, but we hear it. We listen to it. We become acutely aware of it. We, when, when it's going on around us, we awaken our spiritual ears to hear so that, that he, as the book of Revelation says, he that has an ear, may he hear what the Spirit is saying to the church because we value the Word of God. We've seen that the authors themselves said that the Word is like milk to a newborn infant. That without that milk, without that early stages of nourishment, then you will not grow in your Christian faith. But we also see that the Word of God is like meat to that mature adult who has uh, worked feverishly and labored in his occupation. And it's lunchtime or it's dinner time, and he needs to uh, regather strength for the next day. And so he feasts upon uh, the meal that's been provided, and we feast upon the Word of God, and it builds strength and enables us to be who God's called us to be. We found out that, that our minds are carnal. Our minds can think of a lot of evil things. Good people can think on evil things and devise evil plans, and thus we have the uncorrupted Word of God, but our mind is corrupt, and we want to die to that a carnal mind, and we want to get the mind of Christ. So we want, to, uh, we want to replace evil thoughts and sensual thoughts and thoughts that gratify the flesh with good thoughts. So in order to do so, we read the Word of God. And we think on the Word of God because then the Bible says we become transformed. Uh, we become transformed how? By the renewing of our mind. And it's all contained in the pages of the book that you hold on your lap, right? Or that's contained in uh, digital form on your iPhone or that you might have on the screen. And what I want you to see today is it is our belief that as you begin to hide this word in your heart, there's a radical transformation that begins to take place on the inside of you. Now, you were born again, the Bible says, by an incorrupted seed of the word of God. That word of God begins to grow inside of you. 
You begin to read and meditate, and it begins to nourish your faith. And you begin to, uh, uh, begin to exercise the things that God's called you to do and to function in. And, and, and then you begin to see how that by the Word of God, your whole perspective begins to change. That previously, with a carnal mind, you used to think one way, but now you're starting to think an entirely different way. Now, previously, you used to act one way. Your life was all about you. It was about what you could do to gratify your desires, and you didn't matter. it didn't matter how many people you hurt in the process. But now that there's a change worked inside of you, then all of a sudden you become more cognizant of people around you that you can do good to. Right, And then you get up in the morning with the desire to do good rather than evil. right? And it's because of the growth that's taking place on the inside of you because of the Word of God. And then as your perspective begins to change, then the way that you handle yourselves in climatic and traumatic situations begin to change. In the past, and you could have been a worrier, and, and worry is if Christians are still uh, susceptible to, to worry. But at the same time, there's a power inside of you Now, the Word of God that can give you hope in the midst of difficult situations. The power of God's Word can be breathed inside of you and give you a comfort when others are in deep mourning. And when a situation seems hopeless, and as Jojo testified a moment ago, and when the world says it can't be done, the Word of God says, with God all things are possible to him that will believe. Right, And so a change begins to be worked inside you that just begins to radically alter your entire worldview because you don't have a worldview anymore. You have a word view. And then you begin to act on the things that you read and see and ponder. And at first, it's a little bit mechanical. Sometimes it's like copied form. It's like a child following their parent, and they're just emulating the parent's actions and motions. But eventually, it becomes who you are. You become defined by what you believe. And you don't believe just hearsay, and you've not followed cunningly devised fables, but you've trusted in the eyewitness accounts of the apostles who've given to us the Word of God. Amen? And we've put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, and we trust that He is at the very core of this book. As a matter of fact, in John's gospel, he said, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in the 14th verse of the same chapter, he said, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And John even went this far to say that he said the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. John in his epistle, not his gospel, said, Our eyes have seen, our hands have handled of the Word of life. And so Jesus is synonymous with the Word. As a matter of fact, Revelation 19 tells us in his second advent, the scripture says he has a name written that no man knew. And the Bible says his name is called the Word of God. And so you say, Pastor, I would like to be in close communion with God through Christ, and I'd like to hear his voice. Well, tell you, you can hear the voice of God through the Word of God, but you've got to believe it. Come on, somebody. And so what I want to show you today is that as you begin to hide these things in your life, it will begin to change and alter your perspective, and then you begin to function in a consistent manner, not an inconsistent manner, but a consistent manner to the precepts and the principles of the Word of God. Let me just go very quickly as we just read through some of these to set a little bit deeper background. I think you are ready to receive this today. 
Many of these are familiar. We're not going to spend great time. We're just going to highlight them as we go en route to a particular location. Colossians 3 and 16. They may not be able to follow all these things with me. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Now, we're putting it on the screen, making it easy for you. It says you need to teach and admonish one another, even in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I'll tell you what, we determine very uh, uh, diligently and purposely that in our songs and in the songs that we sing, that we have the Word of God contained in it. That the Scriptures are, are being reflected in what we sing because that's how the Word of God abides inside of us, even as we sing about the Word. Now, notice what he said. It dwells in you. Let the Word dwell in you. Now, 1 Thessalonians 2, listen to this. I love what Paul said. He said, when you receive the Word of God. Now, Paul is writing in, in, uh, in their response to his preaching. He said, when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men. Let me tell you this today. This word came through the pen of human men. But I'm telling you, this word is given by inspiration of God. And so here, even Paul, Peter's the one that brought clarity to that. But Paul said this, when you heard this word, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth. Listen, what is it? It's the word of God. And then he said, look what it'll do. Look what it'll do. If you'll believe it, what will it do? It will work effectually. It will be energized. It will energize your life. You say, Pastor, how is that? Let me tell you this. Jesus gave us a parable. He said a good sower went out to sow, and if he had good seed, and wherever good seed fell on good ground, it always brought forth a good increase. And you say, Pastor, I I don't understand spiritual things, but I understand natural things. Well, if you understand that a farmer in the spring of the year takes good seed in a prepared seed bed, and he sows it, and when the sun warms the soil, and when the process of nature unfolds, out of that seed will spring forth life, and it won't be long before you'll be harvesting off of the plant that you planted as a seed, and you'll get up and do that every day. Jesus taught another parable, said, you don't know how it works, you just know it does work. Well, I'm telling you, that's what the Word of God is. If your heart is ready and you receive it, and then I'm telling you, it will work mightily. It will work mightily in the heart of all who believe it. Can you tell I get excited when I talk about this? I got ready to preach this morning. I told Sherry, I said, you know what? I got to wear my tennis shoes today because I may have to run in here today. Hebrews 4 and 2 said, the Word preached. Listen to this. Now, here's our error at times. The Word preached did not profit them because they didn't mix faith with it you got to mix faith with the Word of God. You've got to believe the Word of God. I confess my unbelief. If I have a moment in my life whereby I know that I have walked in unbelief and the Holy Spirit quickens inside of me that that was unbelief, then I confess that unbelief because I want to believe the Word of God because if I don't believe the Word of God, then it won't work well on my behalf. Let's go on down, Romans 10 and 8. It says, the word is nigh thee. It's in your mouth and in your heart. Put it in your mouth and in your heart. Read it audibly at times. He went on to say, that is the word of faith which we preach. Because why do we read it audibly? Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Luke eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus said this, not enough to just hear the word. But blessed are those who hear the word of God and do what? And keep it. So once again, to set the background, we're just briefly reading a couple, actually a multitude of passages 
where the authors of Scripture, and we've only been in the New Testament thus far, are simply reiterating the principle about the Word of God. So their writings have become the Word of God. So the Word of God is testifying about the Word of God. Matthew 22, verse 29, Jesus said this, You are an heir, you do heir, King James English. Notice what he said, not knowing the Scriptures. I'm going to tell you, there's one thing that you can correct in your life immediately, and that's ignorance. You can, you can correct the ignorance of the Word of God in your life by immediately determining today that you're going to hide the Word of God in your heart daily. That you confess to God, say, God, I need you to open my eye and my heart to understand the Word. I'm telling you, ignorance should never be an excuse in the maturation of your faith. I'm telling you, it's not an excuse that God will hear. Because if the word's given to you, then you have an opportunity to read it and to, and to hide it in your heart. And once you hide it in your heart, then you can keep it and obey it. And that process of change begins to take place on the inside and works its way out. And Jesus said, you're in error because you don't know the scriptures. And if you don't know the scriptures, then you're not going to know the power of God. You can know about the power of God, but you're not going to know the power of God. Well, see, I, don't, I want to know more than just about the power of God. I want to know the power of God. So when I'm in a crisis situation or a difficult moment or a tragedy or a challenge in my life, I've got a promise in God's Word that's greater than the uh, appearance of what I'm facing right now, an invisible promise contained in the Word of God that if I trust the Lord, God will manifest it in my life when I need it. But you got to know the Word of God. Amen? Let's go farther. Second Peter, we got just a few more verses. This is a familiar passage. Peter himself says we have a more sure word of prophecy. Now let me contrast this for a moment of time. When Peter is making this reference, he makes this reference. Time doesn't allow us to read that old passage. He makes it in reference to what's called the Holy Mount. Now the Holy Mount was when Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his three closest disciples with him up to a high mountain. And there the Bible says he was transfigured among them. And I believe personally, and this is just my personal belief, that it's a contrast to Mount Sinai in the Scriptures, in the Old Testament, whereby we see up Mount Sinai first. Moses went up on Mount Sinai and received the oracle of the law. Right Later, Elijah himself went to Mount Sinai, and Elijah would represent the prophets. On this mountain, both Elijah and Moses appear to Jesus, and they speak to him. Jesus is transfigured among them. means that the internal glory of God that was uh, hidden in his flesh, that internal glory of God burst out, and they saw him from the inside out. Now, they saw what was actually on the inside of him. They saw him in all of his glory and the brightness of light, the brilliance of his, of his color uh, on that mountain that day. And they were in fear. And, and so Peter was in fear, and he didn't know what to say. When Moses and Elijah left, they said, Lord, it's good for us to have been here. We're going to build three tabernacles. We're going to build a tabernacle to, des to, 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 to remember this day. One tabernacle is going to be to Moses. The other tabernacle is going to be to Elijah, and we're going to a, build a third one to you. And when that happened, a cloud from heaven. Remember the cloud on Mount Sinai? And the cloud spoke, and God spoke out of the cloud to the Hebrew people. Well, this voice came that day on that mount and said, This is my beloved son. Hear him. Come on, that's a powerful thing. And, and it happened, and so that shook these men. Because what they knew about, they knew about the law of Moses. Moses. 
They knew that it was given miraculously by God. That God had come down on the mountain and the mountain shook with fire and lightnings and voices were heard and the authoritative voice of God had been spoken. That was God and the word was captured in the law. And they knew about Elijah and they knew about the prophets. And every voice that came prophetically was measured against the gift that functioned in Elijah's life, the prophets. But now, here's a voice saying, there's the law and there's prophets, but this is my my beloved son, hear him, glory to God. And Peter's writing about it later. And he said, I tell you what, he said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. We got a more sure word of prophecy. And you do well to take heed unto a, a light that shines into a dark place. And that day dawns in your heart and that day star will arise. Now notice this. And he puts it in contrast to holy men of old. Listen, in the 20th and the 21st verse. He said, no prophecy of the scripture was given by any private interpretation. But the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Holy men of God spoke as there was a quickened word of God in their heart and in their life. Here's another passage, just a couple more. Romans 15 and 4, I love this one. Now remember, I'm talking about a word view for just a moment. And I'm going to show you how that one, when you set your heart to receive the word of God, how it changes who you are and it's reflected in daily living, day, every day. It just becomes who you are. Your whole uh, view of life is reflected it is a reflection of the word that's working on the inside of you. How you, uh, how you address other people. Come on. How you feel about your spouse. Right? How you handle your employer or your employees. Come on. It becomes, uh, it becomes the fruit of the word that's sown inside of you. How you plan for your future. Hello. On and on the list would go. Here the writer Paul says, Whatsoever was written before time was written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Man, I love that one right there. Paul said, Whatever things were written before time by the prophets of old, he said they were written so that you and I could learn, and that we sitting here today, we would have patience and comfort because the Scriptures have given us hope. You know, I don't ever believe that we're in a hopeless situation. Because as long as we got God, come on, then there's always hope. Amen? Let's go just a little bit farther. I like this. This is what I want to be. I want to be this next verse of Scripture. And I hope you do as well. Acts 18 and 24, it says, Apollos, it was speaking about Apollos. But look at it. I just love the way it's written. He was an eloquent man and he was mighty in the Scriptures. Do you want to be mighty in the Scriptures? Mighty in the word of God. I want you to think about this, and this is getting a little bit ahead of me, but you know, you think about the weaponry that we have in the world today, and we have ballistic missiles, and in the words of President Trump, we've got the rocket man in North Korea, we got nuclear bombs, and we got all of these things, and we got AK 47s, and we got M 16s, and we got assault rifles, and we got knives and swords and bombs, but I'm telling you, the greatest weapon that's given to man to defend himself from all enemies, both foreign and domestic, is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of Almighty God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I believe it's of greater power than anything that can be produced on this side of eternity, because the word is eternal. Glory to God. Second Timothy 2 says, you are to study to show yourself approved unto God. It's not going to just happen. Come on, you've got to set your heart to be a student of the word of God. 
If you want to be mighty in the scriptures, if you want to learn how to wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, then you must determine to study. And if you determine to study, then you'll be approved unto God, and then you won't need to be ashamed, and you'll be able to rightly divide the Word of God. You'll be able to handle it appropriately, and you'll apply it appropriately, because it is easy to misapply the Word. And you can take what God intends for good, and you can even turn it for evil if you're not careful. That's why you've got to grow in your understanding of the word and your ability to handle it. Matter of fact, Paul said this, 2 Corinthians 4 said, We have not handled the word of God deceitfully. I've already mentioned Ephesians 6 and 17 where it is defined as the sword of the spirit. It is the word of God. I love this one. The psalmist, once again in Psalm 119, many of you have read the book, Corey Timboom. This was the psalm that prompted her to write that book of her, uh, of her time in the concentration camp during the days of World War II. And she writes, as, or she doesn't write, but she, she, she gleaned from the writings of the psalmist when he said, Thou art my hiding place. God's my hiding place, listen, and he's my shield, and look what I'm going to do. I'm going to hope in his word. I'm going to put my hope and my trust in the word of God. In Psalms, uh, uh, excuse me, Jeremiah uh, 15 and 6, excuse me, Psalm 119 and 154 then would also say, Quicken me according to the word. Make alive. The word quicken in the old English means to make alive. God, do something in me. Can y'all catch hold of that? I want you to think with me on this one. Quicken. God, quicken something inside of me. Make me alive to you. Make me alive to other people. Make me a vibrant part of living on the planet according to the word of God. Now, Jeremiah 15 and 16, uh, and then we got one more passage that we'll look at a little bit more uh, in depth, and then we're going to close with one final barrage. Here it says in Jeremiah 15, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. Now, Vagel's going to give you a ham sandwich today, but I'm telling you, I'm giving you a lot more here today. His words were found, but you got to eat them. You gotta, you gotta hide them in your heart. You gotta, you gotta sit down at his table. His word was unto me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Is your is his word the joy and the rejoicing of your heart? If I were to take time, I could have brought you to another psalm in Psalm 119. You've heard me quote it many times. And the psalmist said, I will rejoice at thy word as a man that found great spoil. I will rejoice. Think about that. If you were to go out onto your land, or you say, Pastor, I don't have land. I live here in town. I have a small house, and I have a little backyard. What if you one day you were back there, and the, the, the gerbil died? Your child's gerbil died, and you had to go and bury it. And while you were in the backyard digging with the shovel, you heard the sound of a metallic uh, a box under the sound of your a spade, your shovel. And you dug a little deeper, and you opened it up, and there was this, this black metallic box. And, and, and it was starting to rust, and you popped it open, and there was gold and silver. And there were rubies and diamonds. The sound of your voice would still be echoing across this valley. As you shout, and then you would get hushed because you didn't want anybody to come in and steal it. But the psalmist said, the psalmist said, I will rejoice at your word. I will, when God gives me a nugget of truth from, your word, from his word, it's greater than all the gold, all the silver that can be dug out of the crust of the earth. When God gives you a nugget from his word, I'm going to rejoice at it. In 2 Timothy 3 and Matthew 4, and that's my closing two passages of scripture. Now, this is very familiar. I want to put this up. He said, continue. Now, notice this with me. Continue in the things that you've learned. You've got to learn these things. Well, y'all missed a great place to say amen. Come on, you've got to learn these things. That's why you're here today, right? That's why you come to a church where we're going to teach you the word of God. 
You're not being drawn to a church that's going to simply bring you into a social club. This first assembly, as long as I'm the pastor, is never going to be a social club. We're going to have social events, yes. At the heart of who we are and what we do is the Word of God. The Word's changed us from the inside out, and we want to greatly share it with you. We want you to see that when this Word gets inside of you, it will begin to correct areas of your life. Come on, from the inside out, and it will produce a change in you, and I'll show you this. If you'll continue in what you've learned, what have you learned? You've learned the Word. Paul's writing to Timothy. His father was a Greek, but his mother was a Jew. His grandmother was a Jew, and they had taught them the Scriptures. He continues on, 15th verse. From a child, you've known the Holy Scriptures. And what are these Holy Scriptures able to do in your life? They're able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Let's go further. He said, all Scripture, hold it right there, look at this, all Scripture, even the book of Genesis, even the, that's why I believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, right? I believe every uh, jot and tittle of this word. I, I believe that the book triumphs over science. That's just me. I believe God's word first and foremost. And that we may have to wait till eternity for the mystery to be unveiled, but that's all right. By faith, it's not in a scientist. It's not under a microscope. It's not into some new thing, a new fad, a new fashion. My hope is in the Word of God. That's who I am. I don't know about you. Yes, I'm trying to convince you of that today, but that's, that's based upon my conviction. All Scripture is given by what? By the, the breath of God. What will it do? It's profitable for doctrine. The word doctrine in the original language means learning. It means I can learn the Word of God. And as I learn it, it produces a profit in my life goes on, look what it's also for, reproof. And I want to talk about reproof in just a moment. I want to skip it. It goes for correction. I love that in the context of correction. In the context of correction, it simply means, listen to this, it means a restoration to a right state. So you think about this. Before the Word of God came into you, you were thinking in the wrong way and the wrong means. You acted in the wrong means. You didn't act according to what God's best and design for your life was. You acted according to the pattern of life that carnality was producing inside you. But when the word began to get inside you, come on, then that which has been over begins to straighten right up. Come on, then you used to look this way, but now you look this way, right? You begin to treat people differently for what reason? Because God's word is working inside you and for his instruction in righteousness. But look at this reproof for a moment. When you think of reproof, do you think of um, almost rebuke? reproving someone, like I had to correct someone in our context, that's kind of in, in, in our culture, that's how we use the word reproof. But in the original language, the word reproof here actually means a, a proof of something. It means a proof. Now listen to this real quickly. Strong's Concordance said this about the word proof. It said, is that, it is that by which a thing is proved or tested. It is the evidence so listen to this, what, what the Strong's was saying. The scriptures are the proof that by which the invisible things are proved and we are convinced of the reality. And that's powerful when you stop and think about this for a moment of time. The invisible things of God that I would not know apart from the word of God are now clearly seen by what? By the word of God. The invisible things and the promises of God oftentimes are still that. They're invisible and they've not manifested themselves. But if I have a promise from God, then that's proof that God's going to honor that because God is synonymous to his word. 
God's bound himself to his word, and God is not a man that he should lie. And if God gives you a promise from the word, that's a proof that he's going to fulfill that promise. Come on, somebody. And when God quickens that word inside you and makes it alive inside you, then he's given you that promise. Like a, uh, like a, a vaginal womb that receives uh, the word of God, that when that womb receives, or excuse me, when it receives the seed of a man and it produces life inside of it, then at the same, we know there's going to come a day There's going to come a day when that previously vacant womb has life functioning on the the inside. And one day, there's going to be a manifestation of that which is previously invisible and not known is going to suddenly one day be walking and talking among us. And that's what a promise from God is. A promise from God is simply this. It's simply the Scripture is the proof that God's going to bring it to pass because he's not a man that he should lie. And when he writes it on the tablet of your heart, then you can rest assured that he's going to bring it to pass if you mix faith with it. And you do not walk in unbelief, but you walk in faith. You just simply have to wait through faith and patience for God to manifest it. Does that make sense? That's good right there, isn't it? You could go home right now and you received a lot. Here's what I'm going to close with today. Closing with this. A worldview versus a word view. I'm telling you, a word view changes who you are. We go to a familiar passage. It's in Matthew's gospel, and it's in Matthew's gospel, the fourth chapter. And we close with this. And I want to just kind of walk this out for just a moment if we can. I think it's exciting for us real quickly. How many of you thank God for his word? Come on, you thank God for his word. His word will work in you mightily. When you go out here today with a new stimulus in your heart to become a student of God's Word, aren't you? Let me just say that again. To listen, I know we, have, we, we oftentimes have seasons in our life, and in the seasons of our life, sometimes we are, more, uh, we are more passionate in pursuit of God through His Word than for whatever reason we get distracted. But I will say this, the Word of God does not age. You may age, you may grow more frail, but the Bible says that there, there's a power inside of you that's getting stronger every day. Paul said the outward man will perish, but the inward man can be renewed day by day. He can be renewed by the, that's better than Geritol. That is. And so in Matthew's gospel, the fourth chapter is a familiar record to us, and I'll paraphrase it a little bit along the way to expedite it in time. The Bible says, following the baptism of Jesus. Now remember, up until this time, no one really knew who Jesus was other than Mary and her uh, husband Joseph. Mary certainly knew because the Spirit of God had breathed upon her, vir- I said vaginal womb, virginal womb earlier, I didn't mean to say it that way, virginal womb and created life inside her by what? That which is born on the inside of thee shall be called the Word of God. And so Mary knew that J- who Jesus was. And Joseph may have known to a degree, but perhaps by the time the gospel record comes, Joseph is deceased. His brothers have wondered, uh, but they don't know for sure who this person is. So Jesus is just like any common Jew. The Bible says in another passage, he had no form or comeliness that we should desire him. He looked just like, you know, perhaps a common Jew, a, a young man 30 years of age. He was raised up in the Torah, raised up in the synagogue. That was his custom. But a radical Jew by the name of John had been baptizing 
And he had a fervency about him unlike anybody that had been heard in Israel in years. And the, I'm telling you, we need that in America today. Can I say that? JoJo said Wednesday night we're going to begin to pray for revival unlike we've never prayed before. And I want to add my agreement to that. We need a fresh conviction across this land. Come on, somebody. That, 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 that goes beyond all this political uh, corruption and conflict that we see going on and on. I get so tired of that. Back and forth, back and forth. We need the word to come forth with powerful conviction. John had powerful conviction. Men and women, the Bible tells us there were, there were harlots being baptized and there were also publicans being baptized. There were Roman soldiers being baptized because the anointing was so strong. And finally, this man, Jesus. His cousin came from over at Nazareth and was baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. And when he was baptized in the Jordan River, the scripture says in John's gospel, he said that the heavens were open. And suddenly the Spirit of God in the bodily form of a dove came from heaven and lit or sat upon Jesus. And the Bible says that God said to him, he that you see that the Spirit of God sitting upon is the one that will baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And he knew that there was, and that's why John said, my God, he said, behold, he said, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. But the Bible said, now you would think, and then an audible voice was heard. That audible voice that may have not been heard since Moses on Mount Sinai was heard in the heavens one more time. And it said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, you would think Jesus would be ready to go and start his ministry, that the kingdom of God had come. But the Bible says that the Spirit of God then drove him into the wilderness where he was tempted of the devil. And you know what? We find ourselves in situations like that, don't we? We find ourselves in isolated places. We find ourselves in places where temptation seems to be paramount at that time. That all around us are fightings and fears and confusion and contentions and strife. And it seems like the enemy who lays a snare for us has a snare at every turn. Right? Every one of us has seasons of the wilderness. And sometimes you may think that you're not in the will of God when you're in the wilderness. But sometimes you're right in the heart of where God wants you to be. Because he's trusted that something inside of you is greater than the temptations that are around you. And I'm going to show you what it is here in just a moment. So Jesus fasts. Let's just roll it down. Jesus fasts for 40 days. I know some of you have struggled from breakfast till the time I'm ending this sermon. For 40 days. And at the end of 40 days, when he's most vulnerable to both fatigue and his body is starting to eat itself. That's just simply the truth. The devil came to him and began to tempt him. And where did he tempt him at? He tempted him at the weakness of his human flesh. The way he does us. He tempts us at the weakness of our human flesh. And he says, listen, if you're really the son of God, if you're really who that voice was that said you are, then I want you to take that authoritative power and I want you to turn the stone that's right there at your feet and it make it ideal bread. Make it wonder bread. Make it uh, fresh right out of the oven, right there. Make it like manna that fell in the wilderness if you're really the son of God. But see, there was something inside of Jesus that was greater than even the natural desire of his flesh. And that was the Word was working inside of him. And he knew that the anointing that God had put on his life was not to serve himself. 
Because he said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but the Son of Man came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He said the anointing, this is paraphrase, this is just putting it together in my understanding. The anointing that was in Jesus and on Jesus was not for himself, it was for others. So he was not going to take that anointing and turn the stone to bread. So he said, you know what, I can make it one more day. I've been here for 40 days eating nothing. I can eat, I can live for one more day. You know why? Because I'm living by the word of Almighty God. Remember what Jeremiah said? Jeremiah said, I found his word and I ate it. And it was the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. That's what will happen to you when you get the word inside you. You'll have a word view. Let's go just a little farther. So then the devil wasn't finished with his temptation. So he took him up into the, an exceeding high place in the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, if you're really the son of God, let me say this to you. The enemy knows the word better than most of us. Perhaps even better than all of us, but he doesn't understand with the clarification that can be given to a child of God. So he said, if thou art the Son of God, cast thyself down. He shall give, because he said, notice this, because Jesus had quoted the word previously, now the devil's right there on his level. You want to quote the word? I'll quote the word. So now the devil's quoting the word. Well, he'll give his angels charge concerning you, and in their hands thou shalt bear thee up lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. But Jesus, in the wisdom that God had given him, knew that he was not to tempt the Lord thy God. How many know that this promise, roll back to this sixth verse. This promise is not to be exploited, but it is a promise from God. But it's a promise that we speak it and we profess it, but we don't put ourselves in a position whereby we are going to abuse that promise. But when we are in a critical moment, we're going to trust that promise. Now, let me tell you this real quickly because I, I shared my testimony briefly last week about almost falling from the ladder. Y'all remember that? Now, the only thing that I'm going to say about that and close off is this real quickly, is that every time that I've been out there working on that house, I speak this word right here. And so I believe with all of my heart there was a reason why that my ladder stopped just like this. And God gave me just ample room time to shinny down that ladder and get on, on solid ground again. It's because before I ever climbed up on it, I was able to speak the word of God and say, Father, you said you would give your angels charge over me to bear me up in their hands unless I dash my feet against the stone because the word will work effectually inside you if you believe it, and then your whole life will be transformed by it, and when you need it, you'll speak it and declare it, and God will show up, and he will bring it to pass. Glory to God. And so Jesus said, when he said this, he said, look, it is also written, he knew, you don't tempt the Lord. You trust the Lord. You just trust the Lord. And lastly, in closing today, look at this in the eighth verse. So the devil said, I got one more moment. I'm going to take him up into a high mountain, and I'm going to show him all the kingdoms of this world, and I'm going to show him all the educational systems. Let's roll this. And the glory of them. And I'm going to show him, when you think about that, all the riches, all the wealth, all the accolades, you can be the king of the world. We can put you in a high, prominent place. You can gratify your carnal appetites. You'll have men servants and maid servants. You'll think like the world. You'll think like the world. But see, the, the, the world view was conflicting with the word view that was on the inside of Jesus. And Jesus allowed the word view 
to overcome the worldview. And it kept him being the person God had called him to be. And so he spoke the word in the voice of the world's temptation. And he said, no devil, it's written, I'm not going to worship anybody but the Lord thy God. That's all I'm going to serve. And when the devil couldn't get any stronghold in his life, he left him for a season. Now, church family, I said all that to tell you. Did you catch hold of something for just a moment as we close today? The Son of God faced trial and temptation, but his perspective had been altered by the Word of God. And he would not allow any external forces around him to alter him from a word view. Does that make sense to you today? Now, listen, I believe God. I believe you can have the same perspective. You can have a word view, but you've got to become a student of the Word of God. Listen to what it said, 1 Thessalonians. He said, it will work mightily in you if you believe it. Will it work mightily in you? I believe it will. God's Word will not return to him void, but it will accomplish the thing that he sends it forth into the earth to do. But you've got to hide it in your word, in your heart. Does that make sense today? I want to ask you to stand up with me. Our heads are bowed and eyes closed as you do so for just a moment. I know.